Hey guys, and welcome to the Ready Yeti podcast, episode 239, featuring Luke McMillan, founder of C-Sense Flip Flops. I am your host, Matt Delabono. This podcast episode was originally recorded on December 28th, 2020. In an effort to support the launch of CSENT Flip-Flops recently launched Kickstarter and their overall mission and message, we have decided to recast their recently launched episode. Plus, it's almost spring and you could probably use some new flip-flops anyway. Summer's right around the corner, people. If you don't have the means to support CSENT Flip-Flops on Kickstarter, I highly suggest heading to their website and finding out more. By virtue of tuning into the Red Yeti podcast and listening to Luke's story as to why he started C-Cent Flip Flops, you're already taking an incredible step in showing your support. It sounds kind of cheesy, but knowledge really is power. And with that, I give you Luke McMillan, founder of C-Cent Flip Flops, giving you his why. All right, Luke, thanks for joining me today. No, no, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Absolutely. So just to jump right into it, um, who are you? Who is Luke McMillan? Uh, so I'm founder of Seasense uh, Flip Flops, uh, but my background both professionally and academically is in marine conservation. Um, over the last decade or so, I've worked for numerous organizations and grassroots NGOs all around the world where I focused on habitat protection, species research, and the impact that humans have on marine species and marine environment. Um, I'm hugely passionate about all things shark. Um, I've got an unhealthy obsession with the movie Jaws. <laughs> kind of watch it, watch it at least once a month. Um, and, uh, and yeah, all, all these things that I've done uh, in my life have got me to this point where I am where I, I'm ready to launch this, this new brand and hopefully use it to make a bit of a difference in the world. Incredible. Um, also appreciate the jo- from one Jaws fan to another. That's uh... <laughs> Brilliant. So what is C-Sense Flip-Flops? So the idea is, um, first off the name, uh, it, it's a bit of a play on words. So it's S-E-A, Sense. So it's, it's all about it's time to see sense and time to make change. So that's where, that's where the name comes from. But the idea is that we are producing a 100% biodegradable, uh, Peter-approved, vegan, plastic-free flip-flop. Um, and using the profits from the sales of these flip-flops, um, they're also really stunning. The, the ex-head of research and development for Javianas over in Brazil, he's designed them for us. So, and he knows a lot about flip-flops, so they're, they're, they're beautiful. But not only are they, are they the sort of things that you'd want to buy because they look good, uh, we're using uh, profits to essentially prevent the equivalent of one million plastic bottles from entering our oceans every year. So that equates to about 20,000 kilograms of plastic. Um, and if you think a plastic bottle weighs about kind of 50, 60 grams, something like that, um, we're looking at, at, a, at about kind of a thousand, a thousand plastic bottles prevented from going into our oceans with every pair of flip-flops that you buy. So, um, so it's, it's quite a lot. It's quite a lot, which, which we're really excited about. Uh, but um, what, we're, what we're doing is we are sending money out to organizations, grassroots NGOs, uh, and 
using that money to pay people to collect plastic uh, before it enters the waterways and oceans and things like that. And then uh, in exchange, they can, they can use the money or the, or the tokens for medical insurance, education supplies, food, that sort of stuff. So it's, 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 it's a case of stunning flip-flops, biodegradable, plastic-free, and also helping people in developing countries as well. So it covers kind of lots of different bases. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's really clear that you're not, it's not just flip-flops, it's the system you're creating. Um, did you, I feel like I might know the answer to this, but did the idea of creating the system behind C-Sense, you know, just the plastic removal from um, like beaches, things like that, um, the donation piece of it, did that come before the actual C-Sense flip-flops idea? So, um, so last year I organized the London Eco Film Festival. It's, it's London's only kind of premier uh, environmental film festival. And one of the guests that we had, uh, we had a keynote speech from a wonderful guy called Rob who works for the Plastic Bank. And the Plastic Bank works in numerous countries where they've actually monetized plastic. So their, their analogy is that if you were walking through a field of diamonds, but the diamonds had no intrinsic value to you, if, if you had no one to sell them to or anything like that, you wouldn't stop and pick up these diamonds because there's no point. Um, where, and it's the same, what they're trying to do with plastics is exactly the same. They're trying to make them a valuable commodity so that people will collect them and then they can exchange them for money or, or, or whatever so they've set up almost like a cryptocurrency for plastics where they can take it take it into a, a plastic bank and then exchange that for tokens to get all the necessary things to uh to survive really in, in some of these countries so the idea was how can i how can i do something that gives everyone an opportunity to support an organization like this because they're 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 well known in Kind of my circle, so in terms of marine conservation, that sort of thing, but to most of the world, never heard of them. And, and it was the idea that there are lots of companies like this. We just wanted to direct people to these companies because three billion pairs of flip flops get sold every year. Um, so it's, it's, it's the most popular shoe in the world. And, and we've, I thought, well, um, that's a huge, three billion is a decent market to go after in terms of raising awareness and, and, and trying to direct them to uh, give us funds, which we can distribute to the, all these organizations that are monetizing plastic. You also touch a very important thing. I, I've mentioned this in a couple other episodes, and I don't think people always notice it, but when you talk about environmentalism or any kind of environmental action or anything, it's never just that. There's always a you know socioeconomic piece to it that comes into play. So you are kind of touching some really important things that when you look at them individually may not seem like they're connected, but the, they really can't exist and can't improve without one affecting the other. So that's, you know, you're, to, to say you're hitting multiple birds with one stone is incredible. It is, it is simply the, the idea that if, if, if something has value, then people will pick it up and people will exchange that for, for money. And it's just, if we, if we things that we don't think have intrinsic value if we can flip that and make them valuable somehow then we can we can get change are you still running the um the film festival is that like an annual thing or yeah so covid really scuppered us this year but we've uh 
of course. Uh, but we, because at the film festival, we have so many people love attending and we run workshops and we have great keynote speakers. We took the decision because it was meant to be in November, going to be last month. So we've taken the decision to postpone it until March because we want people on the ground uh, speaking to different people. We want that kind of that buzz and that exchange of ideas. And that's something that we, we, we could have manufactured it a little bit by having an online thing, but there's Not nothing like face-to-face -face connection. And, totally. And um, it's all about inspiring people. So people leave thinking, wow, I can go and do something. And you get that with that face-to-face -face interaction um, and picking things up and, and, and yeah. So, um, so yeah, March is going ahead uh, and fingers crossed the vaccine's here now mm -hmm. uh, and it's being rolled out that uh, things will start opening up and we'll be able to, to go ahead full throttle. Otherwise, we might put it back into, into the summer, but it's definitely happening next year. It's just a case of when. Yeah, that makes sense. And plus, I mean, it helps that we kind of know with COVID what spring and summer looks like and how to make it work. Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't want to get too far into it, but I am personally interested. How long did it take you to develop and put together the, uh, the festival, something like that? Oh, so altogether, uh, the idea was in January of last year. So all 11, 11 months. And then it was still the day before we were still running around trying to do stuff. So it was, it was quite intense. Um, and we, and we managed to get, I think over, over 3,000 film submissions from 120 different countries. Uh, we got about 2,000 people over the course of the weekend all coming and watching films. And it was, um, no, it was really, really good. And everyone was very, it was great to see. Everyone was very wide-eyed, like kind of like, wow, this is amazing, watching these awesome films about um, all these different things they'd never even thought about before. So no, it was, it was, it was really good. That's incredible. I, I always wonder how those things kind of get put together. That's the fact that you pulled it off in less than a year is amazing. Um, yeah. But anyway, back to, to CSense. I don't want to yes. get too, too <laughs> off topic. Um, so I guess, you know, you answered the, the why um, flip-flops, but is there, is there anything else that you were considering? Was it a beeline to flip-flops or are you like potentially going to expand your lines? Yeah, so one thing that I noticed, so I've worked all over the place. I've been lucky enough to work in uh, Seychelles, Madagascar, um, Indonesia, all these unbelievable places. But wherever you go, you always see flip-flops washed up on the beach. It's, it's just, a, like, when, you when it first started happening, you're like, oh, someone's just flip-flops. Flip but there's, because there's so many people, to say three billion get sold a year, that's six billion flip-flops. So um, like, so six billion flip-flops for, for three billion pairs. And then if you think a lot of these are very, I don't want to say shoddily made, but they're cheap. They're very kind of disposable uh, because they're getting sold in lots of developing countries and, and they fall apart really quickly. And a lot of these countries are, um, they're, they're very coastal. There's a lot of people who are fishermen. There's a lot of people who work kind of around the coast and, and they just get lost or broken and discarded. Um, and it was this idea that um, there's so many flip-flops and it's a very relatable thing because I, I can't think of uh, many people that don't own a pair of flip-flops. Um, and it's, it's something that everyone's kind of got in, in their cupboard. Um, but also 25% of all ocean plastic is flip-flop, which is bonkers when you think about it. When you think people are trying to ban single-use straws and all this sort of stuff. Um, yeah, 25 
percent is all of all uh, ocean plastic. Yeah, so that is nuts it, for me. It's bonkers. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Um, so the idea, it kind of just it, it made sense. I think it, it wasn't really a a light bulb moment as such. It, it, it was it was trying to find something that everyone could relate to, but something that was also a big issue, and and the two just married together quite nicely. It's it really I, I can't get over the twenty five percent of uh of the waste, um ocean waste that that piece. I for anyone listening, just to kind of throw it out there and throw it in the in the scope, there is something that I mean we we talked very briefly about this offline, Luke, but um the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Um, yeah, you know, I I understand that you're. I mean, you gave a, an amazing analogy um, before, which I'm I'm going to ask you about. Um, just to, you know to explain better explain the difference of it but with for anyone listening the great pacific garbage patch is essentially a floating island of plastics where all the ocean currents end up sweeping the majority of floating waste usually plastic because you know plastic floats um i guess that is what you're trying to prevent but before it even gets to that yes yeah so um it, it's it, it as we mentioned before, it's, it's the idea that if you were running a bath upstairs uh, and then you suddenly realised that the, the bath was overflowing because the water was coming through the floorboards and it was dripping all over the floor, the ceiling was soaked, the last thing you would do is start mopping the floor where you are. Um, the first thing you would do is run upstairs in, in a panic and turn the, turn the bath tap off because that would actually stop the water. And it's the same issue with plastic. So... The, the last thing we should be doing is taking the plastics out of the ocean. But I, I understand massively how it's a huge issue uh, in terms of environmental damage and, and the pollutants that, that seep from plastics and that kind of thing. But we need to actually stop the, the, the problem at source. We need to turn the tap off on using plastic for everything and, and stopping plastics from getting into the oceans because Otherwise, we're we're just swimming against the tide. Like we we can we can. There's so many great organisations out of there that are, that are taking plastics out of our oceans. Um, but the problem is, as soon as they're taking it out, it's going back in, um, and and they're not even making a dent. It's just a, a non-stop kind of thing, and you need to stop it somewhere. And the way we stop it is from actually stopping plastics from getting into the oceans, whether that's through different policies or or whether that's making more plastic products uh biodegradable um but it's a real it's a real issue and, and we need to switch the way we we think about things yeah absolutely and definitely i mean it's got to be all of them everything you mentioned yeah so i guess a great start is uh stopping the 25 percent of that waste which ends up being flip-flops yeah and, and, and eventually what i would love to do is, is be in a position because obviously we're, we're, we're a fledgling organization and, and we've got great ideas uh, but eventually I'd, I'd like to uh get to a point where we can start um manufacturing flip-flops for people in these developing countries so we can get to a point where we've got um kind of a uh, some decent profits to then manufacture and then and then give it out to, to, to people where they where they need the most to stop them from buying the plastic flip-flops from from wherever that the then break apart and then get lost in the sea so it's it's there's lots of big ideas kind of for the future um and it, that that is definitely one thing but i think if, if people in uh kind of in western countries and 
uh, where, where they can afford to, to, to buy a product like this. Uh, I think to, to know and be safe in the knowledge that you're not going to do any direct harm because if you're, if you're fishing or out on a boat or at the beach, if you lose a flip-flop, then you can think, oh, damn, I've lost a flip-flop. But you know it's not going to cause any harm. So I think that's an important thing. So you guys are a, a very young company. You just started um, this year, 2020, right? correct? Yes. Cool. Yeah, no, actually about six months ago, yeah. And you have your Kickstarter now. And for any listeners, please, we'll add the link to the, the podcast page. Definitely check it out. Um, but I, on your Kickstarter, you actually mentioned that you are working with the, you know, all those grassroots organizations. Um, yes. perfect. Yeah. Um, how do you organize that aspect? How do you, I guess, handle the moving parts of organizing a lot of overseas relationships and, you know, the, the, I guess the collection centers that you mentioned, can you uh, walk us through that? Yeah. So for me, the important thing was to get as big a range as possible in terms of I want to be able to make a difference in more than just one uh, Pacific area. Uh, a lot of people go for kind of South Asia. That's where a big part of the, big, a big part of the problem is. But I, I wanted to work across as many continents as possible. So my plan from the beginning was to uh, get three organizations to, to begin with, um, just because it's more manageable, but three organizations who have a big impact. So the first port of call was to approach the Plastic Bank. Um, I'd met them before at the film festival. I had a really good idea of what they were trying to do. Um, and I thought that would be a good kind of uh, a good opening win for me because they work, they work, uh, they're in um, uh, South Central America and they're in Asia as well. So I thought two continents off the board straight away. Um, and they're really receptive. They're, they're really kind of happy to, for us to support them. and. Um, so that was that, that was one in the bag. Um, the next one was uh, a really beautiful organization called Ocean Soul. Uh, they're based in Kenya. And what they do is they pay people to collect plastic uh, flip-flops. So it's very relatable. Plastic flip-flops from the waterways and the beaches uh, around Kenya. And they actually use those flip-flops to create art. So they have the most amazing um, kind of stat statues of, uh, of giraffes and rhinos and hippopotami and, and all these different wonderful things. And then they sell them and then use that money to pump back into the community and help with education and healthcare and uh, things like that. But it's just this idea that uh, it's, it's, the, it's the flip flops, it's art, it's just people coming together, it's teaching them uh, skills and um, they're a really, really beautiful organization. So that was the next one. And finally, it was, um, I needed to look across Europe and North America as well. And so I started speaking to Plastic Ocean. Um, now they're an organization that uh, came off the back of uh, a great documentary called Plastic Ocean, which is, um, I think it's on Amazon Prime. Awesome, awesome film. Uh, if you're interested in, in, in kind of, plastic in our oceans and, and the damage it's doing and um, they do lots of uh, education awareness beach cleans things like that all, all around the world so um, so that was my three organizations and in terms of directing the funding to them um, it's a straight split three ways um, it, just because the say for example 
uh, Plastic Bank and Ocean Soul, they're making uh, kind of different waves, pardon the pun, it, 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 wherever they are, but they're all, um, they're all collecting plastic before it gets into, the, gets into our sea. So um, it, but the idea is that if they're each collect, if we pay for them to each collect seven and a half thousand kilograms of plastic a year, that, that results in that equivalent of one million bottles. So, so that's how we do it. Like that, that figure for me is really important because it's very, everyone knows a plastic bottle and the idea of like a million is, is, is something quite tangible. Whereas if we said, if we just said 20,000 kilograms of plastic, you think, how much is that? Is that just like a, uh, a trailer? Is that like how, like you can't really kind of understand how it is, but a million bottles, it's a huge amount. Um, so, so yeah, it, it's, it's, um, it's really nice that we've got these organizations kind of buying into what we're trying to do and they're, they're really grateful for the support that's going to come. Um, and uh, no, everyone listening, go, go and check them out. They're three really, really, really cool organizations. Yeah. That, I mean, even beyond that, you're creating a, it seems like you're creating a completely different industry. I mean, you're, you're kind of globalizing, um, you know, recycling like trash pickups, which is incredible because there's, it seems like it's also happening in a lot of places where, um, you know, it could really benefit the communities to make jobs and stimulate their economy. Yeah. And I think the best thing, the, the, the way that we're doing it, I think it's key that we have transparency, but that lots of organizations and companies say that we're going to be using profits to do this and that. And, and there's no way of, not being transparent if you're working with other organizations and they can actually tell everyone that um, they've received x amount of money from us to, to do all these different things so that the fact that we're we're doing it through partners means that people can see where their money's going and what it's actually doing um, in in real time so that the plastic bank they um, they show it on their website kind of everyone who's a supporter uh, this is how much money is, has been collected. Uh, Plastic Ocean is very transparent and, and kind of uh, publicize the work that they've been able to do through donations. And the same for Ocean Soul. Um, that's a really kind of, uh, uh, you can read really the microscope on that because you can say it's helped um, these seven people to, to go to school or, or, or something like that. So it's, it's it, for me, working with partners is, is the best way of getting things done because it's, you can't reinvent the wheel with these things. These organizations have been going, they're successful, they know what they're doing. So there's no point in me saying, right, I'm going to start this organization that goes out and stops plastic, where um, these guys know exactly what they're doing. They've been doing it for years, they're doing it really well, um, but they just need support from other people. So it works really well. Do you, do you think you might run into some problems scaling this? I mean, Right now, things seem to be working perfectly, but do you think there's like a, a point where you might need to start looking at, um, you know, just thinking outside of the box in terms of growth for like C-Sense's yeah. point of view? Yeah, look, for me, the, the ideal would be, so by, I know it's very early stages, but I'm, I'm, I'm very ambitious. By 2030, I want to be going for 10 million bottles. Uh, that, that's kind of our, the, the thing that I want to be doing. And what I would love to do is be like a, almost like a conduit for all these different organizations to, to create this network uh, where they're sharing best practice, they're kind of sharing stories of what they're doing, celebrating everyone else's work. 
Uh, and just by building this network of, of different organizations, more people are going to be drawn to it as well, as opposed to you might get the, the people that follow this one or follow that one, and, and they might have a small amount of, of uh, constituents that really back them to the hilt, but they don't know much about what else is going. But if we can create this huge network of organizations that are all doing the same thing, then I think that would be a really beautiful thing to, to have everyone kind of working together in tandem, uh, as I say, sharing information, and best practice, that sort of thing. Uh, the issue that I've seen personally through the work that I've done is that a lot of NGOs and uh, charities are very, they're very close knit uh, and they, they want to be the, the, they want to be the winner. They, they want to be the best oh, at doing I, good. I guess that's, yeah. I yeah. That. Where, whereas the, the key to, to kind of having any wholesale change is if you get them all on the same page and all speaking to each other and all, all working towards one thing as opposed to very siloed thinking from, from each organization that, that, that kind of goes in all different directions and, and, and doesn't kind of make any progress in, in, in one direction together. Um, so I, I think it, the idea of this kind of C-sense community of not just uh, people who want to buy our flip-flops and, and help organizations, but the organizations themselves, I think that that'll be that'll be my, my my dream thing. So, and in terms of in terms of scaling up, if, if we do go for this ten million in in twenty thirty, then we can grow this network, and then we can kind of get everyone working and all going kind of in the same direction to be able to get that that ten million. I think in my head it sounds quite straightforward. Obviously, there's going to be some some hurdles and uh, bridges to cross, but I, th I I definitely think it's something that's that, that's very possible if the brand is as successful as I hope and I think it might. So it's all, it's all about kind of people buying them and, uh, and kind of embracing what we're trying to do. Yeah. And I mean, it's not a small thing. I think even for all the different aspects of what you are trying to do with like C-Sense flip-flops as the hub, the, the community aspect is to me, the most attractive thing. It really does make a lot of sense. And how many times do you look at any kind of organization? I mean, for even what you just said, it's like you these organizations get in their own way of getting to their goal because they just can't kind of put aside vanity. Like even yeah. just like the vanity of it, um, wanting to be the number one, um, you know, face of a cause. Yes. So it, yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, I think it takes a lot for people to put aside their pride. And I think that the fact that you're just like, look guys, like, let's just, this, this is a problem. Can we just do this? Can we just all kind of come together? It, it's uh, kind of refreshing. And, and, there, and there will be pushback. There, yeah, of course. There, def, there definitely will be pushback, but hopefully people can, as you say, it is a vanity thing. Hopefully people can kind of put that aside and think, well, like, let's Fine. actually try and, and, and solve this problem. Yeah. Um, as opposed to just kind of thinking it's mine. It's very kind of Gollum. Like it's my kind of, yeah. my kind of thing. Oh my God. Yeah. It's insane. Oh, that's so insane. Um, do you have any kind of special campaigns or anything lined up for the launch of uh, your Kickstarter? Anything that you've been doing to lead up to that? Yeah. So uh, we've basically had a really cool marketing agency of, of, of taking on the task of helping us make this a huge success. Um, they've got a, a really great history of uh, helping brands like ours. So um, at the moment, I don't know if any, any of the listeners might have seen it pop up on their social feeds. Uh, it's, it's, it's being pumped out across Instagram and Facebook. Um, but the idea is to 
drive people to our landing page, which is full of great information um, and uh, a basic sign up ready for the launch uh, in the middle of next month. So, um, and those that do sign up now, they're, they're entitled to the certain discounts and, and early bird deals and things like that. Um, but it, it, it's basically all about drumming up support. Uh, and we're also going out to lots of press, uh, lots of online and, and, uh, and paper press, trying to, trying to get the word out. Um, we're speaking to lots of uh, kind of micro influencers um, to, to get them to, to put the word out about what we're doing as well. Um, we genuinely be having like really great feedback from people, um, which is which is really uh, it's both very kind, but also it's a relief because obviously this is a, a new venture, and um, it would have been really heartbreaking if one turned around and said, "Nah, these are these are awful," because <laughs> um, I would have just been stuck with kind of uh, giving people flip-flops for the rest of their lives for Christmas presents and, and try and empty my garage. Um, but, uh, but no, it's been, the feedback that we've had is, it has been really, really great. Um, and, uh, and as I said before, it's, it's it, the great thing about the, the Kickstarter is that you can get, you can be pioneers, you can, you can, you can be the bandwagon for these things, uh, and you can help start grow the community that we're trying to grow. Which it, and you can start from the very beginning. Um, and I think I'm, I'm a, big, a big believer in the power of the why. Like if, if people can see why we're trying to do this and then they can take our cause on as their own and then they can start um, sharing to, to their friends and family and, and whoever that we are trying to do a great thing and that, that, and that might prompt people to, to not just buy your regular well-known brand of flip-flops um but actually uh get ours instead uh they're they're like they're hugely they're, they're beautiful things but they're also great for the environment and profits are being used to, to do some good in the world so it's about drumming up that support really kind of uh, really quickly on mass getting thousands of people all at once thinking right this is this is a great thing let's all kind of grow this community really quickly and then hopefully with that momentum we can keep on growing the brand kind of throughout the year and then and then onwards i think i think that um like i i wouldn't underestimate the the power of the why as you put it um i think that especially now today so much that's a is a really important thing to a lot of people i mean there's for the amount of flip-flops that end up in the ocean this is a good example there's a lot of flip-flop brands out there um, and having that that piece that goes beyond you know just a product means a lot. Yeah, and it's uh, the, the key to any. I've done quite a lot of work in kind of uh, uh, campaigning before, mm. and the key to any successful campaign, no matter what it is, is that it's it's relevant, and also it's an, there's an easy action that you can do to take part. Yeah. So. Um, and it's hugely relevant to everyone. Everyone knows the issues with plastic pollution at the moment, um, but also it's an easy action. Like all you've got to do is um, put a pair of our flip-flops in your wardrobe and you're helping massively. You're, let's say you're, you're, you're stopping a thousand bottles from getting into the sea. Um, so it's, it's those, two, those two things that I think um, are really on our side and hopefully everyone can kind of agree with me and, um, and uh, yeah, we can start doing some real good in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it sounds like you guys are on track to, you know, 
really come out of the gate swinging. Um, do you know what you would want to do next after CSense? Maybe expand your product line? Is there any kind of plans beyond it? Or are you pretty yeah, focused so, on? Uh, it's, it's the it's that knowing what to do. So we are kind of CSense flip-flops. It's whether to kind of uh, pull that back and just be CSense and then that opens us up to, to lots of different things. So the idea is like for the Kickstarter, we're going to have uh, some biodegradable phone cases and organic cotton t-shirts and, and things like that in there as well. Um, just to, because some people might not want to pay, uh, they're still really cheap, but they might not want to pay the full cost for a pair of flip-flops. They might want to help, but, um, but, but have something else. So we've got, we've got a couple of other products that we're having on the Kickstarter. But it's, it's the idea that do we, do we spread and do lots of different kind of types of apparel? Or do we keep the focus uh, and actually grow the brand so we can have seasonal changes in terms of designs? Or um, so if you look at any of the, the, the big kind of flip-flop brands that only sell flip-flops, um, it took them years and years and years before they added things like hats and t-shirts and stuff to their website, just because they could, because the brand was so big and people thought, oh, it's a cool design. Um, so it, it's that, it, I, I think, the, the next kind of six months, year, the focus will just be on the flip-flops. And if there is an appetite for, for, for anything else, then I think we, we might look at doing it. But um, with what we're doing now, we, we put in loads of time doing market research. So we talked about kind of all the important things about, about flip-flops, like the color, the durability, comfort, all things like that. So we might revisit it in kind of six months, 12 months time and put it out there, do a bit more market research. Is there an appetite for, for maybe doing something a little bit different with still having the same thing with, with the money being directed to all these organizations, but people might want something else. So they might not like flip-flops, they might have really ugly feet and maybe they want like, maybe they, may, or maybe they want kind of uh, other, other, other things, but we, we should wait and see. But for the moment, I think that um, flip-flops is something that, that, that uh, a lot of people can understand, a lot of people buy, and, um, and yeah, we'll, we'll revisit in the future. I mean, it, it, it does make sense. It's one of those things where I think people use it frequently enough, like every year, but they'll go missing and then they'll be on vacation and be like, oh no, I need flip-flops. Um, I got to pick up a pair. So I, yeah. I, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and, and the big thing about ours is that we, um, the durability is really yeah. important for us. So, so they're made of natural rubber. So they're a, a, a sustainable product. So um, no trees get cut down. They're, they're made in Vietnam. Uh, the rubber comes from trees in Vietnam. And it's actually, they call it tapping. So they basically uh, cut a slice of the tree and the rubber just pours out. Um, mm -hmm. So it can be used over and over again. But the big thing for us is that we have a 180 day guarantee that, um, that if they break through general wear and tear, we'll replace them, no questions asked. Um, but the the less the, the less uh often you have to buy something the, the less waste there'll be as well so um and, and you won't have to uh buy kind of a pair of plastic ones in a in a resort somewhere because you'll snap that, that was a big thing for us as well like a lot of people will just buy it last minute because there's a broken um and, and there won't be a great range or a great selection um so that was another thing that we have how did speaking of how did you I guess, decide what materials and where you would get your materials from for the flip-flops. So it was, you know, we, we've spoken to a lot of people, a, a lot, a lot of people. Um, and because 
one thing that we looked at in the very beginning was uh, using recycled plastic. It's a very on-trend thing to do. Uh, lots of people are making recycled plastic, well, everything at the moment, sunglasses, flip-flops, uh, whatever, you, you name it, people are making stuff out of ocean plastic. It's a very on-trend thing to do. I saw um, Tom Ford has just released a new watch made of ocean plastic. Um, it's, it's very cool. I could never afford it, but it's very cool. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but the idea is that it was almost a contradiction in what we're trying to do. Like it, it, we don't want to have any plastic in our product. Um, so then we thought, right, let's think biodegradable. What, what can you make that as biodegradable? Uh, so um, we first started looking in Sri Lanka um and then we started looking uh in vietnam as well and and for us the the way that they they treat the staff and uh, uh, they get a fair wage and uh like human rights is a big thing for me uh, very it's, it's human rights day today actually um so um happy human rights day everyone hope you're being nice to each other um but it's uh yeah so that, that was a big thing for us was actually getting a product not only is it uh, biodegradable but also um, treats the staff um, and so we're we're basically shipping the, the 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 natural rubber from Vietnam to China and then uh, we started looking at lots of different simply because it's like we wanted to get a reliable manufacturer that could produce en masse if required so there's a lot of due diligence finding the right people. Again, it's that ethical side of things, making sure they're all paid a fair wage, making sure that it was, it was good working conditions. Um, and we also had to, one thing that I really wanted to do was get um, uh, approved by Peter as being vegan. That's a really big thing for us. Um, so they basically send out a questionnaire to the factory and the factory have to fill it in, tick all the boxes to make sure that they, that they get that kind of stamp of approval from Peter. Um, so that was, a, that was a big thing for us. So um, we basically got these really great relationships with, with the rubber plantation and uh, the, the manufacturer in China. Um, so there's a lot, of, a lot of spinning plates in the very beginning. Um, there was, in my head, when I started, I thought it would be uh, a lot easier because um, I just thought flip-flops, they must be really easy to make. Um, but then as the journey went on, um, you realise kind of the actual process of well, it was obviously getting the, the rubber to, to the manufacturer, but they actually have to be. There's lots of time and, and, and real skill involved in making the actual moulds for the flip flops as well. So um, we had our, our amazing designer uh, Alexander in uh, in Rio, and he came up with these these really really cool designs. But then it's how do you turn that design into reality? Uh, and, and so there's a whole big process of actually manufacturing the moulds that will then be sent to the manufacturer to then get the rubber from Vietnam into the moulds and, and it's a whole big kind of there's, there's lots of spinning plates but um, yeah I think the communication part it was, it was absolutely key trying to keep on top of everything and, um, and I think just just being polite and, and learning the odd uh, just just to break the ice a couple of times just learning the odd kind of uh, uh, Mandarin saying just to kind of make them laugh and and, and try and uh, to uh, if they're having a stressful day and, and things weren't going right it's, it, a big part of this is lots of relationship management yeah of course and, um, and, and keeping everyone on side and, and 
I think the big thing for us is that everyone who's involved in the process, um, like they really understand what we're trying to do. So they're, they're really, um, really want to give us the best possible product to give us the best chance of succeeding. Um, not only is it going to be profitable for them, but they can actually see deep down that we are trying to make a difference in the world. Uh, and uh, they've all taken that on board, which is, which is really lovely. Yeah. I, I, it keeps on coming back to that one piece of community. I mean, you get it, yeah. for what you even said about like, you know, actually having the relationship. It's not the first time I've heard it, um, you know, talking to other, uh, you know, business owners and entrepreneurs on this podcast. And I think it is something that, I mean, not just makes for a better business, but just makes your life easier too. Cause no one wants to be miserable yeah. at their work. So it's like a, it. a win, win, win. Um, and it's that idea if, if, if people can buy into what you're doing, they'll take that on, they'll take that cause on as their own almost. Yeah. But they'll yeah. Kind of think, oh no, I, I, I'm having a really bad day. Oh no, but I, I promise this guy that I need to do this and, and I really believe in what they're trying to do. It's almost like, yeah, it, it keeps people on track, I think, because they're, yeah. they're, they're committed to, to making a difference as well. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Um, you know, being that you are in, you know, such a position, if, if there was a brand listening or, um, you know, a budding entrepreneur who wanted to, um, take steps to either live a more environmentally responsible life or create a more, I guess, even more so create an environment, environmentally sustainable, uh, business, where would you suggest yeah. that they start? I think that the, the first place, it, we mentioned it already, it's, it's the why. Yeah. It's, 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 it's why do you want to actually do this? But it's, you need to think, why do I need to make this product more sustainable? Mm -hmm. I think is a big part of it. So there, there, there has to be the, the narrative. Uh, and, and it's not, being, being sustainable will help your sales, I think, because it's very, it sounds really bad on trend. No, I'm, like I'm with it's, you. It's, 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 it's crucial, it's but it's good on trend. trend as well. Yeah. yeah, it's a really good trend. Um, but I, I think people are a bit more savvy and a bit more switched on uh, to just think, well, I, I'm not going to buy this just because it's sustainable. Like they, they, people uh, are creatures of habit and, and they'll, they'll think, right, this is what I always get. This, these are the shoes I always get. These are the jeans that I always get, etc. But it's, it, it's that putting across why does this need to be sustainable? I think is a big part of it. Not just because it's nice, not just because it's nice to be sustainable because it will cause less damage to the environment. But if we do make this sustainable, X, Y, and Z will will come of it. And I think it's that there's the story behind it as opposed to just um, it's like I don't know uh, if you if black is the most popular color of the season, you'll just put you'll just make everything black, and it's like. If, if sustainability is the trend of the season, let's just make everything sustainable. Whereas you, you want to tell the story because you're, you're trying to engage people and you're, you're trying to change their attitudes and their, uh, their actions. So it's, it's, it's that kind of root cause change. You're trying to change people's uh, attitude to sustainability at the same time as just trying to flog a green product there's a lot of greenwashing going around uh people people say oh this is this is uh xyz this is vegan this is whatever um 
uh, I think that, uh, not to name any names, but uh, Coca-Cola came up with a, a paper bottle, I think recently, I was reading it in the news, but the inside of it's plastic, the cap's plastic, um, but they've come out saying, look at our paper bottle. And yeah, look go, oh, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, but it's still like behind the paper, it's all just plastic because if you don't make it plastic, the, the, the liquid is just going to seep out. But, um, but it's all about, I think it's, it's all about having a good, a good brand as well. I think that there, there, there's the why, but there's also the, the branding behind it and having those, having a good, it, it sounds really silly, but um, a lot of people really like our logo. And it's, it, it, for me, it's, it's, the, it's the simplest thing, but we've had so many, the way it looks on the flip-flops, but also I think, oh, how clever is that? See sense. Of course. Why have I never heard this before? Let's see, time to see sense. See sense. Um, and it's little things like that that, that, that really kind of like make people think, they see it and think, oh, I wonder what that's about. Because it's a bit of a play on words or they, they like the font or the colours or it, it's, it's very, I'd have never looked into the psychology of this before, but there, there, there's certainly some, some benefits into speaking to, obviously it was complete luck for us, but um, to, there's a lot of kind of uh, psychology that goes behind brands, branding and things like that. And I think it's definitely something to, to, to think about. But, um, but the other part is the content that you put out as well. I think for us um, on, our, on our Facebook and Instagram pages, it, it's, a lot of it's about um, education and it's telling people um, why we're doing it, the difference that they're making, the organisations that we're supporting, the problem that we have in the world at the moment. Um, and I think that that's really helped to, to kind of connect with a lot of people. Uh, we, have, we have quite um, like a decently engaged following. Uh, as I say we've only been going for six months and for, for the, people who, um, the people who follow us really can engage with the posts. Um, and I think it's different to just trying to sell stuff, but we're not just like pumping products down the throat every single day. We're actually taking, on, taking them on the journey that we're on as well, like building that kind of community spirit, but also um, the stuff that we put out there, it helps, them, it helps them to learn a little bit more as well. So even if they don't buy our product, they might think twice about recycling or, or, or something like that. So it's that education part of it as well. It all kind of comes together in one big, uh, in one big thing. Yeah, absolutely. Again, there's, you know, gotta even cultivate community within your own brand. Um, yes, that's, yeah, exactly. It's key to it. Uh, what has been the hardest part about starting your business? Uh, money. <laughs> <laughs> it's it it takes it takes money to earn money. Um, as as uh, uh, we need kind of like a. Uh, a lot of money to, to help all these organizations that we want to help. So I think with, um, it's very, uh, it's very chicken and egg. Like what do we, uh, what do we need first? Um, so the first thing that we needed was, uh, an amazing design. Um, and so we got in touch with a guy who used to as I say, used to be the head of research and development for Javianas. Um, and he's an absolute, he's an artist. He's a complete pro. Um, but with, with the, with the great designs come, come great costs. Um, and there's, there's things like the, the advertising that we're putting out there. Um, and this is just to start kind of build the momentum. So what we did to start off with um, was run a, uh, a crowdfunder for, for my direct network. 
So it, it was basically, a, uh, we needed some seed funding to, to actually kind of get things going. So it was a, a real cap in hand job to, to, to get uh, some, some funding from family, friends, friends of friends, just to try and have a, a pot from which we could, which we could work from. Um, and, and, that was, and that was a great kind of uh, litmus test as well. So we kind of put it out there and said, this is what we're trying to do. And people were like, yeah, that's great, great idea. Um, and they gave us some money, which was, which was really good of them. Um, but then it comes to the actual kind of manufacture and, uh, and uh, delivery costs and, uh, and things like that. So we've got to a point now where we have everything in place, but we need to run the, the crowdfunder to get that kind of big order through. So then we can actually start getting some momentum going. Um, so obviously, obviously there's uh, minimum order quantities for, for everything when you're, when you're manufacturing in bulk. Um, and uh, so yeah, we, we want to get to that point where we can then uh, sell on mass, order on mass, and then have the actual stock so that we can um, kind of set up our shop and, and kind of have everything going as opposed to being very piecemeal where we're ordering 100 every week come through we want to be in a situation where we can top up in three or four months if there's the demand um so i think the the big part of it is actually like the 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 legal side and setting up a company like in the uk it's, it's quite straightforward i'm not sure what it's what it's like in the states but it, it's a very straightforward process over here to become um like a limited company and, and, and get everything get everything in place um but it is just that it, it, for us um, because we were starting from scratch, it needed to be a brand new design. Um, it, it, it was kind of getting that financial backing. And it was also a, a case of ownership. Like we had a lot of people um, say, oh, are you, will you be selling, willing to sell off like a, a bit of equity or something like that? And it was like we wanted to keep ownership and kind of very tight control over oh, it. Oh, yeah. Big believer um, in that. Because as soon as you start giving uh, pieces of the pie away, people are going to, have ideas and they'll want to change things and then they'll obviously being a, a shareholder their, their focus is going to be on the profit side of things whereas uh, the idea is that we're, we're trying to um, use the use the profits to actually do some good so uh, maybe in the future uh, if we need kind of an extra kick there might be an opportunity to, to sell a bit of equity as long as their their kind of moral compass aligns with ours and they believe in what we're doing um, but yeah, we're in a really, really strong position now. We're really excited about the Kickstarter. We've got a lot of interest already, uh, and that hopefully should propel us on and put us in a situation where we're financially stable and, and ready to build a brand. Yeah, it's it's always a dangerous thing whenever you give up uh, equity. You raise a really, really good point, especially you know you were so mission driven that yeah, yeah, it one. You don't want to push back when you're trying to accomplish this, like you know, larger no, noble goal, and someone's just like really focusing on one aspect of yes. it. Um, I yes. get that. Yeah. Um, cool. So it looks like we have time for one more question, uh, Luke. Cool. What is the best part about running CSense flip flops? Uh, for me personally, it's it's how excited organizations get. Uh, when they know that you're gonna that you're trying to help them i think um there's it's it, it's that uh last last week i was on the phone to, to ocean soul for example and they were so excited and they had so many uh plans of how we can work together and um it's it that idea that people are really 
spurred on when other people believe in what you're trying to do. It's like what I said for me, like when, when people think, oh, it's a good idea that what we're doing, that's great. But for, for these organizations that are there on the ground, day in, day out, trying to make a difference, when people actually recognize that they're doing a great thing and, and you actually tell them, um, it's, it's, it's a real kind of moment for them. And it really, and it really kind of, uh, yeah, spurs them on, I think. And um, yeah, I think that's been the big part is, is um, speaking to these organizations and, and recognizing what they're trying to do and, and, and yeah, hearing from them how thrilled they are that, that, that we're trying to help out, help out what they're doing. Um, and, and for me, per, for me personally, it, it's it's it, it's the satisfaction that I think that um, I have a lot of shower thoughts, a lot of shower thoughts, and um, and this is uh, everyone thinks they always say everyone's got a, like one idea that if, if you work really hard, it can be something kind of amazing. And I, although it's a very early stages, I don't want to like touch wood. I don't want to kind of curse myself, but I think that we're that we're onto a winner, and 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 I am really excited to kind of see how it grows and develops and, and, and all the good. People. Yeah. I honestly, I think you are too. It seems like everything you guys are trying to accomplish and even I'm mean, almost, especially beyond what you're doing um, on the actual flip-flop side of things is magnificent. I mean, oh, thank it, you. it's a, it's a business that has a way bigger, I guess, meaning mission drive purpose than just flip-flops. So yes. Yeah. I, I almost wouldn't even call you guys a flip-flop company. I would call you like a social good environmental sustainability company. Yeah. I like that. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But again, still very much for anyone listening, flip-flops, they sell flip-flops, buy them. That's how you support them. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to take away from that either. Yeah. Um, awesome. Luke, uh, for anyone listening, where is the best place for them to find out more about C-Sense flip-flops? So, what I would love to do is people to sign up, uh, well, uh, head to find out more information. And then if they're keen, they can, they can sign up to be notified when our Kickstarter launches and, and get lots of discounts and things like that. They need to go to cflops, S-E-A, flops.co. So cflops.co. Uh, and uh, as I said, loads of information on there. Um, lots of pictures of the, of the different flip-flops and all the wonderful colors that they come in. And, uh, and yeah, be notified as soon as it launches so you can be one of the first to get your flip-flops, be the, be the pioneer, join the community early, and then uh, make a huge difference. Awesome. And I will link that all in the show notes for anyone to find way easier. Um, but okay. that's it. Um, Luke, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story with us. No, I've enjoyed it. No, thanks so much. It's been great. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Ready Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.